And with that, make sure you have your Bibles handy as we dive into God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 today as we continue our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world. So today we're going to be in Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. Two weeks ago, we explored the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. Not only the most quoted verse, but also the most misquoted verse. The verse that goes like this, judge not or you too will be judged. That's Matthew 7 verse 1. Well, today we're going to look at a passage that contains the most quoted ethical teaching in the entire Bible. That teaching that goes like this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. William Barclay calls it the Mount Everest of ethics. R.T. France refers to it as the climax of ethical teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Most people just call it the golden rule. Today's message I'm simply calling the golden rule. So we're in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. I hope you have your Bibles there in front of you. So you don't just take my word for it. I want you to see it for yourself right there in your own Bible. Starting in verse 7, Jesus says... Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. May God bless us as we study his word today and more importantly, apply it to our lives. At first glance, uh, verse 12, this golden rule verse, uh, doesn't seem to fit in with the other five verses we just read together. This is now the second time in this chapter that the concluding verse in a passage uh, seems to kind of stick out like a sore thumb. But remember last week we saw that with verse 6, it actually does fit in with the first five verses that dealt with judging. And this verse 12 here, in fact, does fit in with verses 7 through 11 that deal with persistent, faith-filled prayer. And so it might seem at first glance that this golden rule just kind of dropped out of heaven, but once again, we discover it didn't. It ties in with what Jesus is teaching us in this whole passage. As we study these six verses today, I want you to keep this foundational truth in mind. So just lock this away in your memory right now because I don't want us to miss it. It goes like this. What Jesus calls for here in verse 12 does not come naturally through our own hard work and determination. It only comes supernaturally through our Father in heaven on the heels of faith-filled, persistent prayer. So when we get to this verse 12, do to others what you would have them do unto you, I don't want you to forget this important truth. It cannot happen just by your own willpower. It requires a supernatural intervention. 
All the time, people uh, around us will say things like this. Uh, I'm not into church or into religion, but I I follow the golden rule. They'll say, you know what? I'm a a pretty good person. I I try to live by the golden rule. And God answers back, no, you don't. (laughs) You might try to live by the golden rule, but you fail miserably. You don't live by the golden rule because you can't live by the golden rule. It's impossible, utterly impossible for you to consistently do unto others what you would have them do unto you. You can't do it. You won't do it unless, unless I do it through you. Unless God does it through you, you will never be able to carry out the golden rule. Bottom line, it is impossible to follow the golden rule on the outside unless Jesus Christ is working on the inside. And faithful, heartfelt, persistent prayer is the only soil from which the golden rule will grow. Aren't you grateful that we serve a God, a good God, who hears and answers our prayers? I know that I am. Aren't you grateful that God's answers to your prayers are always the right answers? They're always the the good answers? Sometimes we forget that other religions out there believe that their gods answer prayers as well. But no one can answer prayer like the one and only true God. Amen? The ancient Greeks told stories of how the Greek gods answered prayer. And in some of those stories, the gods' answers to people's prayer turned out to be more like curses than blessings. A quick example here. The goddess Aurora fell in love with this mortal by the name of Tithonus. And so Zeus, that great head of the pantheon, that head god, came to Aurora and asked her, I'll give you any gift you ask for that I can bestow upon your lover Tithonus. What would you like me to give him? And the answer was easy. She says, well, Zeus, I want you to give Tithonus more immortality. I want him to live forever so that we can remain lovers forever. And Zeus said, sure, no problem. But there was a little barb that went with that answer to that prayer and that request. You see, Tithonus grew older and grew weaker and older and weaker and older and weaker, but he could never die. What seemed initially like a blessing ended up being a curse. Aren't you grateful that God Almighty doesn't answer prayers like that? God doesn't just take our prayer requests and answer them all literally because He is good. Sometimes He tweaks our prayers a little bit. He adjusts our prayers a little bit and gives us an answer that's at times even better than the request that we lifted up to Him. You see, it doesn't cut it to serve a God who is strong enough to answer our prayers, but isn't good enough to answer our prayers in the right way. Aren't you grateful that our mighty God, Yahweh, is both strong and good? Amen? Amen. Well, here in verses 7 and 8 of Matthew 7, I want you to notice that Jesus makes us six promises about prayer. He makes three promises in verse 7, makes three more in verse 8. And if there was ever a doubt in your mind that your Father in heaven hears and answers prayer, these two verses should remove all of your doubts. Now first, let's look at these three promises he gives us in verse 7. Number one, when you ask, 
Promise number one, it will be given to you. Number two, when you seek, promise number two, you will find. And then finally, promise number three, when you knock, the door will be open to you. Three times in verse seven, he makes us a promise about answering our prayers. Then we get to verse eight. He makes three more promises. Promise number four, everyone who asks, receives. Promise number five, he who seeks, finds. And then promise number six, to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Six different times, Jesus promises that our Father in heaven will answer our prayers as we as his sons and daughters, saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, come to him with our prayer requests and our needs. Do you think that Jesus is trying to tell us something about prayer? I think he is. Pastor John Piper says it this way, so well said. He says, surely the point of this lavish array of promises is to say to us, be encouraged to come, pray to him. It is not in vain that you pray. God is not toying with you. He answers. He gives good things when you pray. Be encouraged. Pray often. Pray regularly. Pray confidently. Isn't that good? Pray regularly. Pray confidently. Now, over the past 2,000 years, Christians have asked the question, is there any difference between asking and seeking and knocking? Why does Jesus use these three different terms here? Is there any difference or are these just synonyms? Well, that's a great question. Many Christians uh, believe that these three words highlight different kinds of prayers. Uh, Many make the case that As he says, ask, seek, and knock, those three terms uh, deal with more intensifying types of prayer. In other words, seeking is a little bit more intense form of prayer than asking, and knocking is a little more intense than, than seeking. So that makes sense. Is that the right interpretation? Maybe. In the original Greek language, Jesus uses the present imperative tense, and what that means is you could literally translate the verse This way, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. So certainly there is kind of an intensifying going on of our prayers. We don't pray once and stop. We continue and persist in our prayer. So these words asking and seeking and knocking may indicate this growing intensity in our prayers. However, I think Pastor John Piper has a better suggestion as to why Jesus uses these three different terms. He says it this way. Jesus uses these three different words to indicate that our Father in heaven is available to answer our prayers regardless of whether he seems close or distant. Isn't that interesting? He he answers our prayers at times when he feels close And he answers our prayers at times when he feels distant. Think about a child who needs something from his mom or dad. In my house, it's usually mom. To be honest with you, the kids will go to mom to have their needs met or even have their questions answered probably 10 times for every one time they come to me. Mom is the go-to parent in our house when it comes to the kids having needs that need to be met. So the kids... 
If mom is sitting right next to them and they have a question, we'll just simply turn toward her and ask that question. Or if they have a need, they'll just turn and ask her to meet that need. There's a lot of other times, though, uh, my, one of my kids has a question. Uh, they have a need that needs to be met, and they don't know where mom is. So what do they do? They come to dad and say, do you know where mom is? Now, I'm perfectly capable of answering their question or meeting their need, but that's not good enough. They got to go to mom. And so, and so they ask where mom is. Sometimes I don't know where she is. So they begin seeking through the house to find mom. It's a little bit more intense, right? And then sometimes they find mom, but she's behind a closed door. And so what do the kids do? Well, I don't want to disturb mother. She might be busy with something more important than me. Of course not. They just start knocking. They don't care what she's doing behind that door. They're wanting to find mom and have their question answered. And so sometimes we're right next to God and we can simply ask. Sometimes God might feel a little distant and we have to do a little bit of seeking. And when we're doing that seeking to find God, we have to remember what God says and what he promises in Jeremiah 29 verses 13 and 14. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And sometimes we feel like God is behind a closed door. Sometimes that closed door even feels like it's dead bolted shut. And God says, what do you do during those times? You knock, you knock, and you keep knocking. So Jesus says, keep asking. When God feels close, Just keep asking. When God feels a little distant, keep seeking. And when God seems to be behind a closed door, you keep knocking and keep knocking. And God will open the door and meet our needs. That makes sense, doesn't it? God at times feels distant. But regardless of how God feels, close or distant from you right now, regardless of whether it feels like God is right before you with an open door or behind 17 closed doors, regardless of how it might feel, regardless of how it might seem, ask, seek, and knock. And even beyond that, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking because your God is good and He is a God who hears and answers prayer. Well, God wants to drive this point home. Jesus wants to drive this point home. And so he he gives us this wonderful example of our own fatherhood that we can relate with. And so Jesus turns to the men in the crowd as he's sharing this Sermon on the Mount. And he asks the men in the crowd to consider their own fatherhood. Notice what he says in verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? That's a pretty good question. Jesus might have been teaching right there beside the Sea of Galilee. And so everyone in the crowd would have known that there are certain stretches of the beach around the shore of the Sea of Galilee that are filled with smooth stones. And many of these smooth stones look a whole lot like a baked loaf of unleavened bread. And so we ask the question, you dads out there, how many of you, when your little boy comes up to you and says, Dad, I'm I'm hungry, can I have some bread? Say, no problem, son. And he'd hand him a rock. You wouldn't do that, would you? No dad in his right mind would ever do that. Even if he was kind of a raunchy dad, he wouldn't do it. No way. Well, what if your daughter comes up to you, dads, and, and says, Daddy, I'm, I'm really hungry. I know it's Tuesday. We're, we're having Taco Tuesday tonight, right, Dad? And, and, oh, you bet we're having Taco Tuesday tonight. And she's all excited. Her mouth begins to water. She's ready for that taco. And dad hands her a plate with a rock on it. 
No dad would ever do that, right? We don't do that to our own kids that we love. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, or if he asks for a fish, will that dad give his son or his daughter a snake? I've been told that there are certain catfish in the Sea of Galilee that look a lot like an eel. And so would some kid come up to his dad or come up to her dad and say, Dad, I'm really hungry. Can I have some fish for dinner? And would dad say, no problem, and hand that kid an eel or hand that kid a snake? No way. No dad in his right mind would ever do that. And so Jesus drives the point home in verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Say that with me. How much more? Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Here in this verse, Jesus reinforces the truth of Scripture that God is good. Amen? Say that with me. God is good. If you're bold enough, tell someone else in the house right now. God is good. He is good. But did you catch what Jesus also said? Jesus is crystal clear. That God is good, but he is equally clear that you and I are evil. Ouch. That kind of hurts, doesn't it? He says you're evil. Right there in that verse, Jesus is calling you, sweet little you, evil. Now, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to be angry at Jesus and cuss him out because he called you evil? Well, no, you won't do that because that will prove his point. (laughs) You're not going to respond that way. Maybe you're going to respectfully disagree with Jesus and and do your best to prove him wrong. Well, good luck with that. You're not going to succeed. You're going to fall flat on your face. You're doomed to failure because you cannot deal with your own sin on your own. You cannot be perfect on your own. There's a third option. I think this third option makes the most sense. When you read those words and receive those words, Jesus looking at you and saying, you are evil. What you could do is accept that Jesus is speaking the truth. Accept the truth that you are, in fact, evil. And you go to him humbly in prayer, asking and seeking and knocking, asking him to help you stop being evil evil. You ask him to forgive your sins. You seek after his righteousness. You knock on his door over and over asking him to make you patient and kind and self-controlled and merciful and generous and forgiving, realizing full well that you are none of those things on your own. Don't get mad at Jesus for calling you evil. Be eternally thankful that he knows the truth about how sinful you are and he loves you anyway. He died for you anyway. What an amazing thought. Jesus knows how raunchy I can be. He knows some of the stuff that's gone through my head over the years that doesn't belong in anyone's head. He knows the things that I've done. He knows the words that have come off my tongue. And yet he died for me and loves me anyway. I shouldn't be mad at him because he called me evil. I should be grateful that he knows the deepest, darkest truths about Dane. And he loves me and died for me anyway. What a mighty God we serve. Jesus invites us to present our needs to our Father in heaven, even though he knows how evil we are. 
Verse 11 doesn't primarily, though, shine the spotlight on how wicked we are. It really, more than anything else, shines the spotlight on how good God in heaven is. If we, though we are evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, here it is again, how much more will our Father in heaven give good gifts to his children who come and ask of him? Pastor Howard Hendricks, who taught for many years at Dallas Theological Seminary, used to tell a story about a a young man that he knew. The young man was married, had several children. And they didn't have two dimes to rub together early in their marriage. They, They didn't have much money. They were living paycheck to paycheck. And so they couldn't provide things for their kids that many other families could. And so they had this regular practice of coming together for family prayer every night and they'd get out a sheet of paper and they'd write down prayer requests and the kids would participate and give prayer requests and when God would answer one of their prayers, they would celebrate during their prayer time and cross that prayer request off their list and and move on to other prayer requests. Well, one night, Dad was taking prayer requests and their little seven-year-old, their little first grader, said, Dad, I have a prayer request. And Dad said, great, what is it? He said, I need a new shirt. And dad began to write down. He says, okay, we're going to ask God for a new shirt. But if we're going to ask God for a new shirt, we might as well ask him for the right size. What size shirt do you need? And the little boy said, size seven. And so dad wrote size seven shirt for our first grader. And they began to pray for that that night. And they prayed for it the next night. And the night after that, they prayed for about a week every single night for their little first grader's shirt. Well, after about a week, mom got a call during the day. From someone that knew her casually, that lady owned a local clothing store. And she knew that family was struggling a little bit. She reached out to that mom and said, Hey, I happen to have a surplus of boys' shirts. They're brand new. Do you happen to need any? And mom said, As a matter of fact, we do. What size? Guess what the owner of that clothing store answered. She said, Size 7. Mom said, great. And she was a woman of faith, so she asked, how many do you have? And the lady said, I've got 12. So mom got in the car, and you know what she did. Well, she brought those shirts home, and she let the other kids and her husbands in on what happened about the answer answer to prayer, but they didn't tell the seven-year-old. And so that night, they came together, as always, for family prayer. And dad said to the little seven-year-old, make sure that you don't forget to ask God for a new shirt. And so the little boy, with as much faith and confidence in God's goodness as he had asked a week earlier, asked God for a new shirt, and Dad nodded toward his older brother, and the older brother went in the next room and grabbed a shirt and placed that brand-new size 7 shirt in front of that little boy. And when that little boy opened his eyes and saw that new shirt, His face lit up and he began praising and thanking God and they began celebrating. And as they began celebrating, dad nodded at the older brother again and he went into the room and brought back a second shirt and put it in front of the little boy. And his face lit up even more and began to celebrate and praise God even more. And then the brother got a third shirt and then a fourth. And then finally he brought in the twelfth shirt and that little boy was there with twelve brand new size seven shirts right in front of him. And you better believe that that little guy was absolutely confident in his heart that he served a God who loved him, who cared for him, a God who heard and answered his prayers. Oh, that little boy's faith faith was bolstered because God did hear and answer his prayers. 
So often Christians ask, why aren't my needs met? Why do I feel so alone? Why is my marriage so messed up? Why can't I find a job? Why is my health so bad? Why is our country in such a mess? And Jesus answers back, you have not because you ask not. You need to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking on your father's door Ask that little seven-year-old boy and he'll tell you God is a loving father who hears and answers faith-filled, persistent prayer. Well, because of who God is, Jesus tells us in verse 12, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Critics of the Bible like to make the case that Jesus didn't come up with the golden rule. They say it was around for centuries before Jesus ever spoke it. Uh, They point out a few examples. For instance, Confucius, a Chinese philosopher, said, uh, What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Uh, The Greek king Nicocles said it this way, Do not do to others the things which make you angry when you experience them at the hands of other people. Ancient philosophers and teachers like the Jewish teacher Hillel said much the same thing. But you know what? All of these ancient forms of the golden rule speak to it in the negative. In the negative, they are negative forms of the golden rule. Don't do unto others what you don't want them to do to you. But Jesus did something revolutionary here in the Sermon on the Mount. He gave us a positive form of the command. Some people respond, well, so what? You know, do unto others what you'd have them do unto you. Do not do unto others what you don't want them to do. It says the same thing, doesn't it? And we answer back, no, it doesn't. What Jesus says is infinitely more difficult to do than what Confucius said. There's a big difference between the negative and positive forms of the golden rule. Uh, William Barclay summarizes it really well. He writes, It is one thing to say, I must not injure people. It is quite another to say, I must go out of my way to help other people and to be kind to them. He goes on and says this, It is never difficult not to do things. A man might forever refrain from doing any injury to anyone else and yet be a quite useless citizen to his fellow men. A man could satisfy the negative form of the rule by simple inaction. If he consistently did nothing, he would never break it. (laughs) That's true, isn't it? Think about this. Every single one of us could be multi-millionaire brain surgeons If all we had to do was never mess up a surgery, Uh, you and I could just go into the OR, the operating room where someone needed brain surgery and we just scrub up and we get our gloves on, we get our smock on and we get our little mask on and we just stand there. We we do nothing. We don't touch the guy and we would get five star reviews on Yelp because we never messed up in a surgery. We never injured someone by putting the scalpel in the wrong place. By simple inaction, we could carry out this negative form of this command, this negative form of the golden rule. So many people think that they live by Jesus' golden rule, but the truth is they're just living by Confucius' inferior version of it. 
They think to themselves, I have a perfect record. <laughs> you know what? I've never murdered anyone. <laughs> I've never raped anyone. I've never been convicted of grand theft auto because I've never stolen a vehicle. I've never robbed a bank. And I've never uh, cheated on my wife. So I am a wonderful person obeying the golden rule. And God says, no, you're not. You've just described something that applies to most atheists on the planet. Most atheists aren't robbing banks and murdering people and raping people either. It's not difficult not to do things, but it is incredibly difficult to do what Jesus says to do. You see the difference, don't you? Between the world's negative version of the golden rule and Jesus's positive one. Once again, Jesus raises the bar. His golden rule is not natural. It's supernatural. Therefore, it's impossible for unbelievers to carry out Jesus's golden rule. The reason why most people who know the golden rule don't live it out is because they can't. They can't live it out. The golden rule requires a supernatural overhaul on the inside, an overhaul that can only be done by Jesus Christ. Unless Jesus Christ gives you a new heart and gives you a new mind and gives you a new love for those around you and helps you every step of the way, you can never live by the golden rule. But you know what? What is impossible with man is possible with God by Jesus Christ. Oh, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Amen? Amen. Well, what action steps do we need to take? I want to suggest to you that if carrying out the golden rule is birthed in the fertile soil of faith-filled, God-centered prayer, I want to suggest to you that there are three prayers that you and I need to begin praying. Prayer number one. Pray, Father in heaven, please forgive me for my sin. If you have unforgiven sin in your life, you will not be able to do unto others. You cannot love supernaturally if your heart and your mind are filled with unnatural wickedness. You've got to get rid of the sin. You've got to ask Jesus to forgive your sin. You've got to get right with God. And remember, as we learned from the Lord's Prayer if that includes asking God for forgiveness, it also includes you forgiving those who have sinned against you. Make sure you pray, God, forgive me for my sin. Prayer number two. Father in heaven, please help me get to know and love you better and better. Because the golden rule is supernatural, there's no way that you could possibly live it out until you see it lived out by your supernatural Savior. You have to spend serious time in God's Word and in prayer, getting to know Him better and better. Jesus Christ is your role model. He is the only one who has perfectly lived out the golden rule and never failed to do it on a single day. He's the only one so pay careful attention to how he loves undeserving people so that you in turn can love undeserving people. Pay close attention to how he forgives others who don't deserve to be forgiven so that you can forgive others who don't deserve to be forgiven. And your love for Christ must deepen in order for your love for people to deepen. I encourage you to read the short little letter, 1 John. 
Because John the Apostle makes this so clear. We cannot love people unless we love God. And we cannot love God unless we love people. The two go hand in hand. We must deepen in our love for God if we're going to love people around us and do unto them as we would have them do unto us. Finally, a third suggested prayer. Father in heaven, please help me to love as Jesus loves. If you want to live out the golden rule, God will help you. He will help you. But you've got to really, really want it. You've got to want it. You've got to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. And if you do, God will answer your prayers. He will help you love the people around you with a supernatural, unconditional kind of love. And when that happens, the people around you will experience a a bigger and, and, and more savory taste of heaven than ever before. And even more important than that is they taste heaven through your unconditional love and living out of this wonderful command, this golden rule, they will get to see Jesus Christ more close up, more clearly than ever before as they see Jesus through you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need that. We need people to see Christ in me. We need people to see Christ in us. And Lord, we get these arrogant notions that we can live out this golden rule on our own. No, we can't. We can only live it out by the grace of God through you, our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord Jesus, help us to persistently ask and persistently knock and seek. Help us to come to you daily in prayer and not give up, Lord, when you don't give the answer right away. Not to give up when you feel a little bit distant. Not to give up when it feels like you're behind a closed door. Help us to be persistent in prayer. Help us to come to you, Lord, consistently asking for forgiveness and being willing to forgive those around us who have sinned against us. Help us to deepen in our love for you and in our knowledge of you, Lord Jesus. We have to get to know you better. We have to learn to love you better. And as we do, you will teach us and equip us to love people around us, not just the ones that are easy to love, but you'll teach us and empower us to love those that are hard to love. This will take a supernatural empowering that can only come through you. Help us, Lord, to carry out this wonderful command. Help us to carry out the golden rule for the glory of God and for the advancement of your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name. Well, we are so glad that you were here with us in our service today. And as always, I never want a service to end without giving you an opportunity to get right with God, to to seek prayer if you need prayer, or to make a first-time decision for Christ if you need to. We like to share the the simple ABCs of making a first-time decision for Christ. A, admit that you are a sinner and that you need the Savior, Jesus. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose to follow him as your savior, but also as the Lord and boss of your life from this point forward. If you're ready to admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ and commit to him from this day forward. 
We'd love to talk with you. Reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Their name and phone numbers are on the screen below. Reach out to one of us. Let us know that you've made a decision to accept Christ today. We'd love to pray with you and give you some next steps to follow. If you need to be baptized, reach out to one of them. We'd love to set up a time for you to be baptized. Or if you just need prayer today, for whatever reason, reach out to one of us. We'd love to pray with you today by phone or by text. And with that, I want to say thank you so much for joining us in worship today. You've got some wonderful homework to carry out. Dig a little deeper in prayer. Go to God asking Him to help you become something you can never become on your own. But with man, what is impossible is possible with God. Amen? Amen. Ask Him to help you live out that golden rule better than ever before. May God be with you as you do that. For those of you who are staying with us for communion, I invite you to stay. The rest of you, God bless you. We'll see you on Father's Day.